That was good, Pastor Rose. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I have a lot of joy in my heart tonight. Ooh. You want to know why? I know you want to know why. Well, today's a very special day for someone that is sitting with you. Someone that you love. Someone that has such a wonderful heart for all of you and me. She puts up with me, so she has a big heart. And today we're, we're celebrating, and I hope you join me and, and wish her many, many more years. Today is Pastor Pam's one year of being ordained and licensed as a reverend for the Church of God. Man, oh, oh look at you. Oh, yeah, come on now. Come on now. Oh, man. You know, I, I, one of the things I love about uh, Bishop Nick, raise your hand if you remember Bishop Nick. Well, he's on fire every time he comes here. He's such a man of God. But he always, always compliments his wife. First thing he does before he even starts. And that's so important to me. And, um, and Pam is so dear to all of us because not only is she a wonderful minister and, and God is using her, she's so anointed in delivering the word, but she's a wonderful friend. And, and, and she's a wonderful sister. And, and she loves us all. And like I said, she puts up with me and, and she always blesses me with um, the wisdom that God gives her. Raise your hand if you have ever been to a Summer Olympics. Raise your hand if you have. I have. Ooh, you didn't know that about me. Now, now wait a minute, Brother Chris. I, didn't, I wasn't a participant. I was just a viewer of the Olympics. And <laughs> in 1984, I was blessed to, uh, to ride in my little Toyota Tercel. If you remember the Toyota Tercel, I could sit in that car and I was almost sitting like if I was all the way in the back seat because it was so small, but that's the only car that I could afford. But I want to tell you about this before we open with the service. Um, I was able to go to the 1984 Olympics where two of the people that are sitting here tonight, they were just toddlers. And I was already a guy in my 20s and, and I was able to go to the Summer Olympics 1984 and the Los Angeles Coliseum. And I got to see a whole bunch of events. Very expensive, but I enjoyed myself. And so I wanted to say that because if you remember, if you, well, raise your hand. Has anyone here ever watched the Olympics, Summer or Winter Olympics on TV? Any, oh, good, good. Okay, I don't know why I don't care about the Winter Olympics, but I care about the Summer Olympics. And 1988, I named that Olympics the Olympic Olympics of the Big Lie. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I wasn't there. I went to the one in 1984. It was an Olympic of the Big Lies because of the event, the situation that took place. I don't know if any of you remember of the famous world-class Olympic runner, 100 meters, Ben Johnson from Canada. Okay, all right. 
You might know the story already. But Ben Johnson was a world-class runner. And he had just won so many races before qualifying to be in the Olympics of the 19, uh, 1989 in, um, in South, uh, South Korea. That's where they had the Olympics. And I watched it. I watched it from the beginning to the end. You know, it goes, goes on for more than 10 days. You'll have it, all kinds of events. And now they have more events involved with it. But Ben Johnson had been training for many years since he was young. And, and he, like I said, he won so many um, races. So here he is at the 1980 Olympics, and he's running the biggest race of his life in the Olympics, the 100 meter race. And there were a lot of Canadians in the stand. And he was born and bred in Canada. And in the commentators, a lot of people favor Ben Johnson. But if you know the story, it was a big lie, okay? So Ben Johnson was at the blocks, the gun went off and he ran and he had run faster he, than he ever done, had done before. And he had actually broken the, his own world record, his own world record. Ben Johnson had broken. At, at the very end, he beat everybody in the race. All the runners that are with him, all eight runners, uh, he was number seven, whatever, whatever number he was, he beat them. And, and he won the gold medal. So here he is, uh, after he received the gold medal, and he was on the stand, and when you know you have the silver, you have the bronze, the silver, and the gold. So he was standing up top, and very proud, and, um, and then somebody gave him a Canadian flag, and he went and did one whole lap, like they mostly do when they win a gold medal whether it be a relay team of more than uh, more than three, uh, four members or, or just one runner. So everybody was like overwhelmed, this guy. Back then he was referred to the fastest human on earth. You remember fast forward to not so many years ago, uh, the Jamaican runner now the fastest, was the fastest human in the whole world. But here's what happened, okay? What happened was he got a phone call. Well, he was in his hotel before he went, uh, flew back to Canada. And he got a phone call uh, from judges and also doctors. See, every athlete in the Olympics, even way back then, had to be pre-tested and post-test. And Ben Johnson, they found out that he had juiced up. And if you don't understand that term, that means he shut himself up, his muscles with steroids. So he, and he had bought, he had gotten the most uh, advanced steroids that he could have in his body. And he had run faster than anyone else. Well, the phone call said, you have to return the gold medal. And you have to present yourself in front of all of us. And of course, when he went to Canada, there was no parade for him. It was, he was known as a disgrace. Fast forward to 1993, five years later, he was still working and wanting to, to complete. And he was in the world class, not the Olympics. Remember, the Olympics is every four years. 
but he was in uh, the world-class event running the 100 meters. And what did they find in him again? He had juiced up again. So he was disqualified for the rest of his life. So I, I gave you this story, which is a true story, because one day, and Pastor Chris mentioned this a little earlier, one day, many of us who think we have won, who think we have won, because we think we have done everything right to serve God while here on earth, we will face Christ. We will come before him. We've talked about this so many times at our church here in service. And he will strike away our heavenly crown. That means he will take it from us. Like what Ben Johnson, when they took away his gold medal, that was worth everything of all the hard work and all the years. So he will strike us of our crown to be with him in eternity because we live the big lie about Jesus. And this message is not about beating up on anybody that you are not doing, and you and I may not be doing the right thing, but we talked about this so many times before that we can say that we're Christians, but I always say this to people, the way you can find out if a person really starts saying that he is a, a believer is by his or her action. So let's bow our heads and let's go to let's go to God and let's let's pray for the service tonight. And this message, Father God, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Lord, again, I always want to always make acknowledgement of you. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. And Father God, Lord Jesus, I ask you always through the Holy Spirit to give me the word that this word will deliver many that are listening and will heal many, but will always be, also be a wake-up call for all of us, including me. I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do tonight. I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to deliver again through the Holy Spirit. In your precious name we pray in the church said, Amen. Amen. So the title of this message is, No Matter What, God is on my side. That's the title of this message. No matter what, God is on my side. And I know you're already, your wheels are turning and you're trying to interpret what that means. What is he trying to say? Well, let's find out. Let's go to Amos chapter 5, verse 14. Amos chapter 5, verse 14. And the word of God reads, Seek God and not evil, that you may live, so the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Listen to this, church. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how many folks claim you, you'll have a lot of folks claiming this. They claim that God is on their side. I've heard people speaking to me about them saying, oh, I don't have to worry. God is always on my side. Okay? And that's what they claim. Um, is always on their side. God has been 
that has been claimed by those seeking even to enforce slavery. You know, back in this country, during the time of slavery, I mean, I've researched this, I've seen it in movies. During the time of slavery, the plantation owners would gather all the slaves and after eating, allowing them to eat in their own quarters and then coming to meet with the plantation owners and their families, the plantation owner would have a service and all the slaves were invited to the service. And here's a plantation owner reading the Holy Bible in front of all these slaves and praising God and saying how we were to love one another. This is a true thing. This happened and it's still happening all over the world. But yet he claimed or they claimed that God was on their side. But slavery to them meant to everything. The way they oppress others, the way they force others to serve them, to take care of their land. Also, the practice of prejudice. Some people, <laughs> and I've been in churches, and I've been outside as we're all leaving in our cars and all that, and I've heard people that were just in church praising God, singing hallelujah, their hands up in the air, and um, with the biggest smile to everyone. And then I would hear a comment outside someone going to the car and saying, did you see that guy that just walked by here? Oh my God. And they started labeling people. A prejudice to a, a, about a human being they don't even know what they may be going through. Also against others for their beliefs. If you don't believe like me, I want nothing to do with you. And do you think Jesus feels that way when there's a broken person and he wants you and I to be ambassadors and reach out to others so that they will know who the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords is? If someone keeps rebuking you and I and they don't want to know about Christ, then fine. Dust up your sandals and keep moving forward. But if you know that they're hurting and you can invite them to a Bible study at church, you can invite them to church service, whether it be on a Wednesday or, or a Sunday. That's what God wants us to do. Not just to say, hey, good luck to you. I know you're struggling, but good luck to you. That is nothing that Jesus will be proud of. People that claim to know God and God is on their side and all they do is lie. They lie like the old saying that a lot of Americans would use. They lie like a rug. Constantly lying about everything. But then every word out of their mouth, oh, God is on my side. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm a good soul. Listen, we've all been there, including me. So... No, no pointing fingers at anybody. Claiming that they know that God will take care of them 
and they bribe officials. <laughs> and you ask yourself, wait a minute, how did you get everything done so well at your your shop when when you open your shop, your mechanic shop, and you got everything approved? But they lie and they bribe the official. If the official was looking for a bribe and couldn't care less if you did not meet the code and standards, even though they could lose their jobs and anything like that. Claiming that God is on their side when they walk in a world of hypocrisy. Always a bunch of hypocrites, men, women, and children. Claiming that God is on their side when they force injustice on the powerless, on the poor. They treat the poor and the powerless and oppress them like they're not worth anything. How can we claim that God is on our side and that God is going to bless our jobs, going to bless our homes, when we treat others nothing like Christ? And we are supposed to emulate the living God. We're supposed to be a mirror image to who Jesus Christ is. And even practice ethnic cleansing. You know, there's still, there's still the Ku Klux Klan exists very well and alive and living in the United States. And they're even in the northern part of the state of Florida. They're still there. And I told you my story a uh, long time ago, but I'm not going to go into it tonight. But our Lord and Savior makes the test pretty simple. A lot of pastors try to make teaching the word, delivering the word, such a difficult thing where you have to almost stand on your head in order to be able to receive salvation, in order to be able to be redeemed from the darkness that you might have been walking in in your life, which all of us started that way anyway. But pretty simple. Do what is good. This is what Christ tells us. Do what is good. Seek after good or you are not related to me. How do you like that? That's what God tells us. You can have the best smile, wear the nicest clothes when you come to church. You can be the best boss at your job. But are you really trying to mirror what Christ, who Christ wants you to be like? Okay? So, very simple. Seek after good, and again, you will, re, you will be related to me, church. Many will fall in the last days, and we have studied this, and have made knowledge of this. Many will fall in the last days that claim to know Christ, will fall in the last days that claim to know Christ, that claim to be obedient to his word. But here's what it is. A lot of us sometimes we're not obedient all the time to his word. None of us are ever going to be perfect. We know that. But to be obedient is to open your Bible every day and be in the Word. Not because the church is saying, we're going to do a 21-day fast and you should be more in the Word and more in prayer or 40 days. This should be part 
of your M.O., part of who you are, that you're in the Word constantly, no matter what you're going to. In the words of the prophet Amos, that meant equity for all peoples in court. And if you read the book of Amos, it's not very long. Um, to all people in court and to the, in the marketplace, okay, to treat them and be a, a person of equity. And in the place of worship, if any one of us is claiming that Jesus Christ is on our side, any one of us right here in our church, in all churches across America, then in a big band, in a big band I say, we had better draw close to the side of Christ. The side of good, righteousness, justice, and mercy as Christ defines it. That means Jesus wants you and I to have more mercy towards people. Jesus Christ wants you and I to have more grace towards people. It doesn't matter if you're a boss at a job. Oh, I finally made it. I'm the supervisor now of 500 people in my job. And the first thing you want to do is walk around with your head up like you are a, a peacock with his head up very proud and making others feel like you need to tremble when I walk by because I am the boss. I've dealt with people like that all my life. You have dealt with people like that all your life. And you know, even some of you at your job site right now, because you have shared this with me. And showing mercy as Christ defines it. Remember me? I'm talking about me now. I was the worst of the worst. And I have shared that with you. I'm ashamed, but I am transparent. I told you the truth about me. Okay? I claim I knew Christ. I honor him. I thought, this is when I, when I was way younger, okay? And my prayer warrior, if you remember, was my mommy. My mom was my prayer warrior. So I would do such ridiculous things as to call my mom, and I would say to her, hey, mom, I'm about to do something bad. Would you please get on your knees and pray a lot for me? This was me, Brother Caesar. This was me, no lie. Claiming that God will take care of me no matter what. And what did I bring to Christ? I brought tears to my father's eyes. Where he cried, I'm sure, for me. And he weeped for me. Even though I thought, Brother Doug, that I had that covering because my mama was praying for me. This is what, how we deceive ourselves when we think we can claim that no matter what I do, I've already made it, man, I come to church every Wednesday, I come to church every Sunday, I even come to the Bible studies, oh my God, I've even gone to the prisons, I've even gone to the shelters, I've already made it, I don't have to worry if I want to do some bad sometime. God sees everything we do. God knows even your thoughts and my thoughts before we do this. So, this is when I was walking in the darkest time of my life. Could you go to Micah chapter 3, verse 11? Micah chapter 3, verse 11. 
Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. God bless you. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, even back then they were practicing this. It is not the Lord, uh, is it not the Lord among us? No harm can come up upon us. <laughs> they were cheating. They didn't bring the word because the Holy Spirit was working in their heart to bless them with the gospel, right? Of God. They brought the word because they seek for pay. I have a friend of mine that I love dearly, and God finally changed his heart. I never prayed for God to change his heart, because I'm no one to do that, because God is still working in my life, and will work in my life until he takes me home. But he would say to me when I would invite him to come to the homeless shelter, hey, uh, I know you invited me to be part of your team that teaches Bible study here. And I was a lead, lead minister at the time, I was just a lay pastor and then a chaplain. Uh, am I going to get paid? He would ask me that. And he was serious. And I would say, well, I know you're going to get paid when you get up there. He goes, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I said, no. Nah, you come here because you have a heart for the broken, for the hurting. That's why you're here. I invite you. I hope you're with me. We, we were friends for a long time, and we're still friends. And I love him dearly. But he finally got it. Now he teaches, uh, not Bible study, but he teaches something that he teaches that he connects it with Scripture at the shelter where I'm at and uh, on Monday nights. And, and he doesn't ask for anything. And people are getting so much blessed because he ties into, ties in what he's teaching them, not to think about that they're failures, okay? And he's also bringing in scripture and letting them know that Jesus loves them. So when Pastor Pam shares with me that his stuff is on Facebook, how he's been awarded something, I am so happy for him, okay? But a lot of these people back then, I'm gonna come and do this. Am I going to get paid? Am I going to get favor? And if that's the way you and I enter that walk in servanthood with Christ, what do you think God is going to do? Once you face him, he's going to say, you never did anything for the right reasons. You did it for your reason. And none of us in this room won't ever have to say that, that God will tell us that. Important points here. Many will claim to know him, the living Christ, and claim to follow his teachings. Yet, we find ourselves in heated arguments with people. Mm. It happened at work. It happened in my job many times. With folks, heated arguments with folks, friends, and even our spouses and family members. But yet, we feel... We're most of the time right. Why? Just look on how far he has taken me. 
And that's what that's why some of these people say sometimes, well, I'm right. Because look what Jesus has done for me. Oh my God. I have a great job. I got promoted. I was able to get a, 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 a car loan, which is under what the market commands. So they think and they feel. Even though they live another life outside of church, that they can claim that everything is going to be all right with me because Jesus is on my side. And how wrong are we with that? We're deeply, insanely wrong that we think that we can live in two worlds and honor the living God. Case in point, bosses that I worked under, and I worked under many bosses, okay? Many times would, would even have the audacity to tell me, I know I'm rough. I had this one last boss before I retired, and Pastor Pam knows her. Uh, and she met her when, I, when they gave me the retirement. She wasn't there, but I, you know, I shared with Pam. I know I'm rough sometimes, but I haven't. But, but haven't I moved my school your school, I was one of her administrators. I was second in command under her. Haven't I moved my school and moved my children from being a D minus school to an A plus? And we're talking about what is known in the school system, adequate yearly progress, where children are making steady progress from, I was in a middle school, from sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So she thought, and she told me this in conference because I was a right-hand person. We were inside her office. The door was closed. And she said, yeah, I know I'm rough with, with you guys, my administrators. I know I'm rough with my secretary. She treated her secretary like, like she was trash. I'm being honest with you. And I was present sometimes because she wanted me to be a witness. I go, my God, I could turn her in <laughs> and let the, uh, the area superintendent know the way she treats her staff. But her answer was always, but I moved this school so much. I have done so much for this school. Who cares, man? That is not gonna be worth anything when you come before Christ. It's the way you and I treat people, the way we love on them, the way we show mercy and grace, no matter what we're going through. And do you know there were people on my staff that I was over a lot of them at the school, and I found out before I before I, I left, and I, because that was my last job before I retired, that they were taking, Brother Caesar, they were taking medication just to be able to handle the stress and the depression and the oppressive behavior that this lady, her boss, their boss, my boss, was showing them. Taking medication to survive the job? Are you kidding me? Then what happened when they found out that I was a minister? <laughs> a lot of them were coming to my office like I was the school pastor that they were coming to see. She never found out. But I would always pray with them. And I would always say to them, you need to pray for her. And some of them would look at me like I have two heads. Are you kidding me? Pray for her the way she treats me. And um, I mean, I can go on forever. But these are the things. 
Go to Micah chapter 6, verse 8, if you would. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Wait a minute, which? Yeah, I haven't read that one yet. He has shown you, O man, and he was talking to me, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, <clears throat> to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There's a question mark. He's shown us how to live. He has shown us in his word how to conduct ourselves. He has shown us in his word how to be the salt and the light to everyone. That's what Christ has shown all of us. And, and it's touching to me. Those of us that claim to walk with Jesus, study his word, but fail miserably. And I've been there. Don't think I'm above anything. I've been there. And the way we conduct ourselves at work, at the market, at home, and yes, even at the house of worship. So this is what the Holy Spirit placed in my heart also to say. Can folks see Jesus and each and every one of us more times than not? Not a trick question. If anybody would question you right now, took you in that back room, just sat down with you, asked you a whole bunch of questions, and at the very end asked you, hey, hey, I got a question for you. Can people that come through those doors see more Jesus in you than not? Ooh. I want people to see more Jesus in me than to see the old crazy Cuban slash Italian guy getting upset. No disrespect to Douglas. He's not Cuban, but he's Italian. Okay, but I just have to say that. That is so important. Go to Romans 2, 7 through 9. Romans chapter 2, 7 through 9. Eternal life to those who by patient countenance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, we've all been there, and do not obey the truth. Well, remember, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is Jesus. The truth is his word. But obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And anguish on every soul of men who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. That means that we continue living in that life style, claiming, I don't have to worry. Jesus is on my side. But yet the way you act, the way you steal from the government, the way you steal from others, the way you lie to others, the way you treat others without grace and mercy, one day, one day, that includes me, Jesus will take his hands off of you and I if that's the way we're conducting and let us run. And then we're not going to have the covering that we seek every day for. The mighty right hand of Jesus, the covering of his blood that he shed on Calvary. We're not going to have that because God is going to say, Go ahead, Pete. Do it your way. I don't want that ever to happen. 
I don't want that ever to happen in my life. And if sometimes you're leaning a little bit towards that, because you may be frustrated with someone, even your spouses, your boss, I alert you not to. Don't do what I have done in the past, and God is still helping me and working with that, not, not to lose sight of who he is and what he represents in my life, which is eternal life, which is salvation, which is sanctification. Wow, how can that happen? But only Christ can make that happen for you and I. Only Christ. So, of course, no one is perfect. This sometimes confuses many believers thinking, I want to be more like Christ. I am on my way. I've had people in the, in the, in the gym tell me this when I speak to them. I don't try to stick Jesus down their throat, but they have said to me, well, I want to be more like Christ. I know I'm still, and they make up all excuses. Well, that was me when I was walking in darkness. And they, they, they'll say, but, but I'm on my way. Ooh, but here's the thing, Brother Doug. Your way may not come the next day. You may be gone. Amen. And if you're not serving Christ, and if you have not repented, and Christ does not live in your heart through his spirit. Oh, I locked the door. If you can unlock it. Oh, wait a minute. I think I'm going to faint. I might faint. Wait. Hold me up. Hold me up, pulpit. My younger brother, the best one, best looking in the family, came to love on me tonight. Welcome, Chaplain Seville. We love you, brother. Thank you for being here. Anyway, I'll give you the $20 later. No, I'm only kidding. So, so they, they say this. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And tomorrow, remember, it's never promised to you and I. Tomorrow is never promised to you and I. So you and I need to be on our way right now right now and claiming that we want to serve God and that we want to show grace and mercy towards others. That's what we want to do. We want that light to, light to shine on us that anywhere we go, people are going to get blinded by the light that God has given us. We haven't created this light upon ourselves. God gives us the light to do a wonderful job at the dentist's office, to do a wonderful job at the hotel, to do a wonderful job wherever you're at as a contractor, it doesn't matter. To do an incredible job at Verizon, it doesn't matter. You want people to see Jesus in you. And let me tell you, Jesus can drive an Uber, Jesus can work at Verizon, Jesus can even be a dentist. Right? King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha the Omega, he can do anything. He's a miracle worker, promise keeper, a light in the darkness of our life. That's Christ. So if any one of us genuinely did good at all times, he or she could not merit eternal life of his or her own accord, but there is none because all in some way or another 
have been or will be self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. We all fall short of the glory of God. There is no part-time sinning. Especially if you know, like I used to call my mother, and I would share with my mom, Mom, I'm, I'm going to do this. I need you to pray. Could you, could you pray a couple more extra prayers for me? And my mom was so gentle with me, Chaplain Sevilla. She would say to me, Son, I will pray for you, but get in the Word. Mom, I don't have time to get in the Word right now. i got to go right now. I want to do evil right now. Mmm. Mmm. God wasn't happy with me. But look where I'm at today. Not because I can claim that no matter what I do, he'll be by my side. It's because I love him, and he's my first love. That's all I got to say. He is my first love, and I want to honor him. Do I always honor him? Nah. I fall short of the glory. I don't always honor him. So, but let us continuously seek to listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit, definitely not our flesh. Let us all uh, press towards Christ and ask him every day to, and I love this, to tear off the dirty ploys in our heart. Every once in a while, you may need to ask God to have open heart surgery on you. Amen. To cleanse that. To cleanse you of all evil thoughts and what we think uh, that, that could be acceptable. No way. In the last scripture of the night, if you could go to Matthew 6.33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And you know this one so well. But seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Mm. Important points here. Sunday, the word joy was used quite a bit. And was preached on. But not just joy. The joy in God. Okay? Was a center thrust in the word of God message this past Sunday. When we can walk in the joy of the Lord, then only then can we claim, no matter what, no matter what, God is on my side. Church, when we continuously seek His wisdom, His discernment, His will, we will build a reservoir. I love that. A reservoir of living water. Ooh, living water. That we will bring great joy to those that encounter us anywhere at any time, no matter what we may be going through at that moment. So I am going to end with this. And if I break down a little bit emotionally, a lot of people at the shelter call me the weeping pastor. As big as I am, okay? But I get I get so touched with this. Uh, we have two individuals. In this church. And I, I mean, I love all of you. But these two individuals I love greatly. And I'm going to tell you why. And I know you're going to agree with me. I know you're going to agree with me. Okay? 
One of them, this is a potter's house I'm talking about. One of them, that individual is going through illness, but in the name of Jesus Christ, that illness will be taken away. That individual, every time I come through that door, and if that individual's inside, that individual smiles at me. And that individual may be going through so much that I don't even understand. And that individual hugs me and loves on me and my family and my, my wife, Pastor Pam. And I love that individual and her family. Because he always shows compassion, even though she's going through so much. She shows compassion to all of us and love. I never heard that individual say anything nasty and never be short with anybody. On the contrary, always encouraging and always loving. And I thank the Lord Jesus Christ for that individual. The second individual that I love dearly and care so much about. Sometimes I say to this individual, oh, maybe this should not work out that way or maybe what you said and here's what this individual always tells me. And he does it, I know from the heart. This individual does it from the heart. He looks at me and says, Hey, Brother Pete, I promise you, I will do better. Wow. That's awesome. I promise you that I will do better. You know what that's telling me about that individual? He's looking at me as someone that he loves and cares for. As someone that he respects. And he tells me, I promise you that I will do better. Who the heck am I to receive that? But that's how much he cares for me and my family. And that's the way it should be with all of us. Not only should it be two or three, but it, we should be a, a church of overflowing godly water. A, a, a water of blessing to each and every soul that comes in that door. That's what we want to be. Because there's people that are hurting. Sometimes I'm hurting. And I walk in that door, I'm hurting because I, I have tripped over my big tongue and mistreating my wife that I love dearly. And all I see from all of you most of the time, I would say, I'm serious. This is, a, this is an incredible church to me. All I see is the love you have for me and my family. And, and just that smile and that love, you know what it tells me? Hey, Brother Pete, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. That means the world to me. That speaks volume of what Jesus is doing in your life. Let's bow our heads and go to God. Mm. Father God, Lord Jesus, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word, Father God. I thank you for your Holy Spirit because I couldn't have done any of this. Because I walked in that wickedness and darkness all the time thinking that no matter what, you were always on my side. And yet I shamed you, Father God. I hurt you, Father God. And I thank you that you allow me to still come before you and repent and ask for forgiveness. I ask this for all of us, Lord. Thank you for the word. Lord, we always lift your name up on high because you are the mighty, holy God. You are the living God. 
you are the God of more than two or three chances. You always leave that door open for us in the light on that you will receive us with forgiveness, with love, compassion, mercy, and grace. We thank you, Lord, for tonight. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen.